This is deep dish, right? Yeah, well, let's get deep. So, so I'm, I'm going deep on both sides. Sunny, welcome to the platform. How you doing? Doing well. Thank you for having me. Now, thank you for being here. How's your 2023 starting off? Wonderfully. Wonderfully. That's good. That's good. I'm so excited uh, for us to be here. I know we talked about it. We finally we had some rescheduling, but we're here 2023. Mm-hmm. And we're going to make it happen. And I'm, I'm, I, are, you, are you ready? You, I'm ready. Are you feeling about it? Let's do it. <laughs> um, I want to I jump straight in. Um, and for everybody, so they know I, I love people that's from Nashville. So let's get that out the way. You know, Sonny's homegrown, right? Here. Oh, you're not? Mm-mm. I thought you was from that. No, know? we talked about this. Indianapolis? Born in South Korea. South raised Korea. Raised in a suburb of Chicago. Oh. Went to school in Indianapolis. I was oh. there for 11 years and I've. I why went to did, high school here. That's yes, why. I went that's to high why. School here. Anybody I feel like goes to high school here is just like, yeah. oh, it must be from here. Oh, well, people, you know, South Korea, <laughs> <laughs> Chicago, then Nashville. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Well, I've been here for eight years. Yeah. 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 So yeah. she's like, she, she's, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to take you under our wing here. Uh, you don't have a choice. So we're claiming it. <laughs> Sonny's from, from Nashville. Shh. Be quiet. Um, so let's let's like let's talk about that like yeah. that that transition of like South Korea, Chicago, Nashville. Like, how does that play a part of like your evolution of Sunny? I think each were very different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I grew up in Aurora, Illinois. Um, that's all I knew from the beginning. Um, I visited Korea a few times throughout my um, adolescence and then I went to high school here and then I went to Indianapolis for school. That's where I started my professional career and then I returned back to Nashville in 2015. Um, I would say when I moved to Nashville that's where I had probably the most um, nervousness Okay. Because I had grown up in Illinois, um, I had never been anywhere outside of Aurora um, for as long as I can remember. And then I remember just thinking, is it diverse? Yeah. And I had heard terms that I had never heard before um, until I moved to Nashville. Um, what were some of those terms? Uh, well, the, you're the only 10 I see for Tennessee. That was a joke. And oh. then um, uh, I had heard the term chink. Oh. Hmm. I didn't know what it meant. Really? I had never heard that before. I think, you know, growing up as a child, you know, kids can be mean. Yeah. And there's just teasing that's involved. Um, so I always knew that I looked different. Yeah. And my mom raised me to know that. I may be treated differently because of the way that I looked. Right. And growing up um, in a private school, I was one of the, I was the only Asian child mm. in my school. How did that, so, so how was And that? then that carried into high school. In high school, I was pretty much the only minority. How did that, so let's, I want to start with the family aspect of that. Yeah. Like, what were those conversations like in how did your parents help you navigate and understand that? They didn't. Oh. <laughs> there, there wasn't much support or direction in terms of what I may, may or may not face as right. an adult. 
Um, it was more so just a warning of, hey, you look different. Right. People may treat you differently based on the way that you look. Um, and that was it. it I, did you know I, you was being treated differently as an adolescent? Did you did you recognize no, it? No, I didn't. Um, you know, I, I remember kids kind of like putting their fingers up against their eyes and like um, making jokes or saying that maybe my nose was flat. Um, but really it wasn't until I became an adult that I yeah. became more aware of right. my surroundings and how I um, would be treated in different rooms. Um, I think a lot of that came from, you know, obviously my, my mom's own experience right. in coming to the States as a first generation South American woman, um, South Korean woman, and just the discrimination yeah. and adversity that she had faced and the challenges that she had to overcome. And then just even within um, my dad's side of the family and how mm -hmm. they treated her right. as well. And your dad is uh, He's white. white. Yes. Mm, that's yeah. interesting. That's a whole nother topic yeah. as well. So <laughs> I, th I think I may have told you this before, um, but my dad is white, my mom is South Korean, and when I was 14, before I, I found out we were moving to mm -hmm. Nashville for high school, um, leaving you know this group of friends that I had known since I was four years old, right. I actually found out I was adopted when I was 14. So wow. at a very critical point in your yeah. life when you're getting ready to go into high school, yeah. I discovered this information. How did you digest that? I think I kind of just shoved it as far down as I possibly could yeah. and and never never dove into it until a year ago. So it's fresh. <laughs> yes. Yes. Wow. We got to come back to that. I know. We got to come back to that cuz that's <laughs> that's a whole that's a whole thing like that's something like that's like it's like in a movie script or something. Yeah, and it used to be something that I was really ashamed of. Um, I it, I've had never really talked to my parents about it until this last year wow. when I became. When I think when I became a mother for the first time is mm -hmm. when I, everything changed. Right. You know, obviously. I've always wanted to have an impact, but I think once you become become a parent, right. you know it's yeah. your responsibility to make this world a better place. Right. And I wanted to dig deeper into my culture, into my background for many reasons, yeah. health, and you know I knew that one day she would be asking the same questions that I asked, and I never got answers to. Right. And so as you're going through this, like, <laughs> like 14, 15, high school, like you're realizing, like, okay, like. The world for me is a little different than maybe some of my, my peers. My parents break this news to me. Oh, they didn't break it to me. Stop playing, Sonny. They How did you find out? I found out. Um, I think just as a young child, I had just gone snooping through the house and I had found some paperwork that wow. indicated. This is a movie. This is a book. I, <laughs> I've heard that. This is. I've heard that. I'm. I'm what? If, yeah. if you obviously I know this is right something now. that I don't typically talk about yeah. with a lot of people but I think you know yeah through therapy yeah. Um, I've become more comfortable yeah. you know this is part of my story yeah. this is there are 
you know, this is what's led me to where I am today. Yeah. And um, I, my hope is that in sharing, you know, some of these challenges and and overcoming and, and overcoming them, that that might provide hope. Yeah, for, for sure. Someone else. So how did so so how did all that kind of transform into like you wanting to impact community? Is yeah. that something? Were your parents like civically engaged or um, your mom, you know, kind of, did she yeah. have some type of sense of like, hold on now, something, something is not, something is not right. Let me kind of show Sunny. Let me kind of help her understand like she is, is bigger than us. There's other immigrants, refugees, you know, first, second, third generation yeah. families. Where did that mold come from, that inspiration? I didn't get it from my parents. Um, I, I've received a lot from my parents, mm -hmm. especially around um, working hard and having a good work ethic. Um, you know, they did a lot for me. Yeah. You know, they always made sure that they provided and I had everything that I wanted and needed. Um, but in terms of you know, my drive and ambition and, and kind of this need for impact and, and being valuable, um, what I've learned is a lot of that has come from childhood trauma. This, mm. you know, look at me, I am worthy, I, I am worthy of love. Um, but also, you know, I've always been somebody that's been, um, it's been very important for me to always continue to grow. Right. I'm, I'm a lifelong learner. I want to be better than the person I was yesterday. Right. And early in my career had gotten a mentor, I had gotten involved in some leadership training and I had done some networking and the the leadership training, um, you know, I believe that there are certain experiences that you go through in life that can ultimately change the trajectory of your life and I can, I can distinctly say that there are two experiences, maybe three, that really did that for me and one was the leadership training that I had gone through in Indianapolis. Okay. Um, our leadership group had gone to an area of town in Indianapolis um, and it was called Tent City okay. and it was a block away from Lucas Oil Stadium and I shared the story with you that um, that was my first time. I mean I had lived in Indianapolis for over a decade at this right. point and homelessness isn't what it is in Nashville. It's okay. not as visible. Okay. And that was the first time that I discovered people living in poverty. Mm. That's when I, when I first saw that people were hungry. Yeah. And How do you think you never saw that? I like, have no idea. I have no idea. Uh, like, I, not, like, eat, like, panhandlers and all, like, that, like, just, wow. I just never saw it. And maybe I wasn't looking. Yeah. I, I don't know. But... I think once I saw that, mm -hmm. um, now I see it everywhere. Right. It's and, hard to miss. Right, right. Yeah. And so our leadership group had, within a matter of four hours, just reaching out to friends and family, had ra raised over $48,000. Mm. Um, but to me, you know, yes, that was great. We fed right. them. They were hungry. But that didn't solve the issue. Right. It didn't move the needle. And I remember thinking, you know, I feel like I need to go work for a nonprofit. And I had told an informal mentor of mine who was an, a corporate attorney, I said, I think I want to. I, I want to go work for a nonprofit. And he highly advised me against it. Because of no money. No money. <laughs> and he said, You know, Sonny, 
you have such a strong skill set in sales and business development, you know, just continue down the path that you're on and throw money at the causes that you care about. Mm. Um, I listened to him for a few more years and then I lost a really close friend of mine to melanoma. Mm. He was 27 and I saw the impact that he had in so many people's lives. I remember being at his funeral and everyone that spoke of him referred to him as their best friend. Mm. And you know, this was another experience of mine that changed me. And when I saw the impact that he had had in such a short amount of time on this earth, I thought, what do I need to do? Right. You know, like what's my legacy? Right. Um, and I realized I needed to move back home. Mm. Um, there were some other things that were going on in Indianapolis that I really needed to pull myself out of that environment. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to be closer to my family. Yeah. So I, I left everything. I left this this network that I had built right. and I relocated back home and didn't know anyone and I started fresh and right. um, hit the ground running, met as many people as I could possibly meet and I think really immersed myself in this community. What does that mean, the word community mean to you? Curious, what does that mean? And I know it's a, it can be a broad term, yeah. but I'm curious, like, what is your personal definition of community? So I'm an only child. Okay. So I've always referred to my friends like family. Right. I don't think family necessarily has to be blood. Right. And I've always wanted that sense of community. Mm-hmm. And to me, community means a feeling of belonging yeah and I think connected to others all right I got another one <laughs> got another one this is gonna be this we diving deep now belonging what is what does it mean to belong as a Asian American woman like in the United States broadly but like within like nonprofit what does that mean the sense of belonging I don't know hmm I don't know what that means. I haven't experienced that. Really? Hmm. Why have like okay, let's go let's go let's dive in, son. <laughs> Why how don't you know what that means? Like I, I and I ask that question because like isn't isn't we in a place now where it's a lot of diversity and inclusion and equity and you know, we're all being more intentional, quote unquote, about, you know, making sure those who haven't historically belonged are now belonging, but you're still not seeing that. I love how you say that because I know that you don't think that either. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't, it's hard to do something if we've never done it. Mm-hmm. Right. It is, and it's hard to recognize it if you've never seen it. Right. Um, especially in nonprofit. Right. We know historically nonprofits are ran by white people, men or women. Well, majority men, I think globally, right? And so I think that tells you a lot. That can tell you a lot about the nonprofit sector. And then especially when you're talking about where money is going to, to other nonprofits that may be led by minorities, people of color, right? They don't see the same type of funds that their white counterparts see. Right. And so 
how have you been able to pivot, impact, combat some of that within the nonprofit community with just you being you and calling it out? <laughs> I think I want I want to broaden that yeah, actually. So ahead. so me as an Asian woman not only in the nonprofit community, but in Nashville as a whole, mm -hmm. it has been a bit challenging. Um, I think that I am somebody that's determined to mm -hmm. make a path, but not everyone is like that. Right. And it's important to help set others up for success. Right. I think that's why it is my responsibility to step into that position and make mm -hmm. sure that you know not only for my own daughter daughter but for other young women that can finally look up and see someone that resembles them mm -hmm. because representation really does matter I mean there's a reason why growing up as a child I wanted to be a figure skater is mm -hmm. because I saw Michelle Kwan and Chris Yamaguchi on the screen yeah so I saw an opportunity um, it's it's been challenging I think not only just as a as a woman but then at another layer of being a minority woman mm -hmm. it's it's difficult when you walk into rooms and you're the only one mm. and then when you are in rooms specific to talking about diversity equity and, and inclusion and you share some of your experiences and they don't seem to be heard. Mm. And this is kind of back to what I was saying earlier about this sense of community, this right. sense of belonging that ties into feeling seen right. and feeling heard. What is, what, is, what is that like? So once you leave a meeting, right? <clears throat> or, or yeah, once you leave a meeting and you have you was in you was invited or you you know was asked to be there and say hey son we want you to be we're gonna talk about these things we believe you have some value to add and help us figure this diversity inclusion equity or whatever it may be community belonging thing out and you realize that they just want to be here just to say they have me here probably what is your initial thoughts once you leave that <laughs> that type of meeting? And how, like for mental health purposes, yeah. what do you do to make sure like you don't walk back in there and kick down the door and flip over a table or something like that? But like because and the reason I ask that because I know there's other people, you know, every day that has yeah. to go through that routine, right? And 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 you're there but you're invisible, you know. So to some, I can't really speak to that because I can't think of some of those experiences where I've been invited to sit at the table. Oh, another bombshell. I'd like to be. I advocate for that. Yeah. I speak up about how that's an important need in creating diversity and inclusive spaces. Um, Why don't you think you're invited to those, to those, to those tables? I, it's be, I'm, I'm really, I'm like, I'm really shocked right now. And the reason I'm shocked, just to give context to people that are listening and watching, is that like literally any any community space that you may go in here in Middle Tennessee, like somebody knows Sunny, somebody knows you, right? Or there may be somebody that doesn't know you, but is informed that they need they need to get to know you, 
or like and so that's why I'm really shocked and appalled because community would say otherwise, right? Mm-hmm. Community would say, of course Sonny is involved in these things because like I hear her name everywhere. Like I, I you know, like she's involved in, in everything it seems like that is rooted in community and trying to help other nonprofits and community centered organizations like build community. And so that's why I'm really appalled that that your name is not being brought up or invited to some of these community-centered conversations around like equity, inclusion, yeah. diversity, or belonging, what that means, and even more probably specific to our Asian community here, which is, you know, which yeah. is large. I mean, I'd love to be a part of those conversations. Um, I think I'm actively in the community saying that I'd like to be. Yeah. I think that I have a lot of great perspective yeah. to contribute. Um, is there some intimidation, maybe? Are people just kind of... And I say intimidation because once people sometimes see another, like, great person, sometimes if it can, it can, it can make them insecure about their own kind of positioning yeah. and power um, or impact. And if I bring another... I'm just going to use this with nature purpose. If I bring another wolf to the table, and I'm a wolf, you know, there might be uh, it's two wolves, and that's three. You know, it's a lot of wolves now. You know, wolves like yeah. to eat. You know, wolves. You know, it's a, it's a, it's you know, and that can be intimidating to some people. And I think that's okay. You know, I'm, I'm here to. I can only control so much, right? And it's not my responsibility to control anyone else, right? In how they perceive me, yeah. Um, you know, I have a deep faith, and so I think whatever is for me is meant to be for me. I, but to answer your question, how would I show up in some of those spaces? Yeah. Um, I had a woman tell me recent, a few years ago actually, when I, I started to get a little frustrated with you know, the checking of the box, yeah. especially on, on, on boards. She said to me, so what? Hmm. So what if if they ask you to be on a board based on how you look? Right. They're going to keep you because of the value that you bring. Mm. And that just stuck with me. Mm. They're going to keep you because of the value that you bring. And that's crazy because it's like a shocker to them, right? It's like, oh, she has value. We got, you know, it's like, that's just interesting. It's like, forget everything that I've actually done, right? Like, let me check this box and then let me be surprised <laughs> yeah. by, like, how, like, amazing that you are. Yeah. But I think when invited in those spaces, when mm-hmm. invited to be at that table, as leaders, it is our responsibility to reach back and mm-hmm. grab somebody else. You're right. Which you do. Which, let me attest to this. <laughs> Sunny will reach all the way back. She could have just met you two days ago. She's going to reach back to those two days. And if she sees a, a, a opportunity or something that could possibly benefit you or just introduce you to different people, like you do that. And so I want to give you your flowers on that. Thank you. Just because I know you've done it and you've done it for me. And so I Well, it was easy it. to do for you, too. <laughs> you know, I but, think when you meet, obviously I don't do it for just anyone. Yeah. But when you meet really authentic 
genuine good people with great energy mm -hmm. you can't help but want to help yeah. them yeah and if you have the resources to do so then right. you absolutely should um let's let's dive in a little deeper into the nonprofit sector um and talk about the future of nonprofit in general, but also the diversity of nonprofit mm -hmm. and knowing that there's not many people in it, especially at an executive level, that look like me and you, right? Um, how do you find strength and empowerment in your differences, right? And, and one, being aware about that, right? Knowing that, okay, like, it's a, it's, a, it's a different type of aura with me um, because of a lot of things, but how do you embrace that and, and use that as a strength and not look at it as a, as a, like a, like a, a down or like, ah, oh, you know, I didn't, I'm not, I'm, they're not gonna, you know, um, want to be associated with me or invite me to that table because like I'm a woman and I'm Asian. Who cares? Mm. Who cares? Um, I, I have to preface this by saying I, I don't know everything there is to know about nonprofits or the nonprofit community. My background is not in nonprofits. It started in, in business development and my background is helping small businesses and tech startups grow and scale into new markets. Mm -hmm. So I think I come into it with a very different perspective right. through a, a different lens of you know, bringing my business acumen and wanting to see nonprofits succeed and helping nonprofits get the resources and the tools that they need. Right. Um, as far as, you know, how I may be perceived in certain spaces, that's okay. It doesn't mm -hmm. really bother me. I think I've, I've gotten over that years ago. Um, it was probably in my, in my 20s where I started to really embrace my differences and show up with more confidence in who I am. And then, you know, obviously as I've gotten older, it's, it's just gotten better from yeah. there. Uh, I believe that each one of us is put on this earth with a specific set of spiritual gifts mm. and that we should be using them for positive impact. Mm. And I think when you show up with a certain sort of energy, you show up as your authentic self, you will attract the right people. Right. And I am I'm lucky enough to have people that are behind me, that get it, that yeah. really truly want to see more diversity right. in, in Middle Tennessee. And they are the ones that are mentioning my room, my name in rooms of opportunity. They're right. making sure that, you know, a female minority owned business is thriving. Right. Have you, um, make sure I preface this right. Um, as a, as an Asian woman, let's, yeah, let's do this. As an Asian woman, have you, have you seen, how have you seen your identity empower others, right? Is, specifically other Asian um, community members. How have you seen that? Because if you if you if you if you if you put I'm gonna be real American right now. <laughs> if you if you play devil's advocate, if you if you put Asians in a box, it's a lot of like it's a lot of 
API community, right? It's a lot. It's a lot. It's just not South Korea, China, uh, Pacific Islanders. It's 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 many, many. Uh, I don't want to leave anybody up. I can't name everybody. Uh, <laughs> it's a lot of countries. Um, how have you seen your presence in the nonprofit se sector um, be able to empower others in the Asian community or even words of encouragement or like, oh, wow, you know, like we're in this space too. We can build and support one another too because we also have social um, justice issues um, that we are affected by differently than other groups of people of color or minorities and things like that. I don't know. I can't speak to that. I really don't know mm. a whole lot of Asian leaders yeah. in this community, and I certainly don't know any in the nonprofit community. Mm. Mm. Well, we gotta change that. One, we gotta change that. Two, why? Why? Like, why don't you? Why? I know one. Why? I know why, one. Why do? You, why, like, why don't you? Why, why, why do you feel you don't see many people that look like you in this space? I'm not sure. I mean, it could be culturally. Mm -hmm. It could be their upbringing. Mm -hmm. I think, I'm, even for me personally, I, I can speak to my own experience. My, my mom never understood why I wanted to go work with small businesses and tech yeah. startups. And I can tell you, for certain, she has no idea what I do for work. Mm. It's ingrained in you early on to work hard, get good grades. I mean, I mean, there's this level of perfectionism and to grow up to become a right. lawyer or a doctor. Right. So I'm wondering if maybe a, a lot of yeah. those individuals in the Asian community, that those are the careers that they've pursued. Yeah, career expectations. But so I know there's Asian community members like yourself that are doing good work. It's all can be more, but it's just like, I would think in a time where we're supposed to be more intentional about these things, right? Um, more people to be reaching out to you and others to get you off perspective, to understand the culture things and the things that, you know, if you're not Asian, you know, or if you're not an Asian woman, you just wouldn't know, you wouldn't be aware of. Right? Which Sometimes is we're the invisible minority. Mm. And, that, and, that, and that does that go into that that um, that minority model model, model minority, minority myth? myth? Yeah. It's frustrating. I thought that what our world has been through mm -hmm. since after George Floyd, that the conversation would be different. Right. It has, in a sense. But we're almost the forgotten minorities. Right. And even with the Atlanta attacks, it was talked about for a brief time. Mm. And I struggled with that a lot. Mm. Um, I remember I, I stumbled across this video on Instagram of this older Asian woman being attacked in an elevator mm -hmm. by a black man. And I just, I could feel everything just kind of building up in me and mm -hmm. I I got emotional and I turned to my husband and I said 
because I'm, I'm not a crier. I usually shut those emotions down. Yeah. And I, I said, I don't know why I'm getting emotional. Yeah. And he said, it's because it's it reminds you of, of your mom. Yeah. Mm. And I thought to myself, why would they, why would there be violence against this, right. this community? Yeah. And I reshared it. I hesitated because of fear of what maybe others would think, which doesn't matter. Right. But I remember getting support from my black friends. Yeah. That didn't see that. I mean, they were disgusted by it mm -hmm. as well. But when I talk about that with with people, it's almost like they don't hear me. Mm. Or it's like, oh yeah, that's awful, and then they've moved on. And I, you know, you look at know different initiatives that are happening in regards to supporting small business owners it's around black and latino right but not asian businesses it's not yeah and that's the truth yeah and no. you know when i have conversations about some of the the real fears that i have as an asian woman you know after atlanta i were I remember thinking, when I get my nails done, mm -hmm. when I'm in that space, I look around to see where I could take cover if somebody were to come in there with a gun. Mm. Or, you know, the conversations that I have with my white husband of, you know, these are things that you will never have to right. deal with right. because of the way that you look. Right. And I remember one time we were we we had gone to a, a Prez game and we were gonna go meet a friend afterwards for a drink downtown and initially I thought this is a great idea. Yes, I'd love to go see him. Mm -hmm. And then moments after walking through I felt extremely uncomfortable. Mm. Felt unsafe. Mm. Because I didn't know if I would you know, have an interaction with someone who was drunk right. that would just want to say something nasty to me just yeah. because of the way that I look. Yeah. Have that ever happened to you? Have you ever been um, some type of slur, some type of just racist, discriminatory act? Yes. Mm. It was the very beginning of COVID. And we were in New Orleans and we were walking out of a gas station, or we were walking into a gas station and a gentleman was walking out. And I heard him say, there's no corona in here. Mm. Mm. Because of the, the narrative of the coronavirus, um, and, and because of the president at the time, Trump and how he framed the narrative Chinese virus and all of those things. What was your initial thoughts about that being Asian and did you, especially after that like encounter, did you have to start maybe looking at environments differently? Um, oh, I was 100% more hyper aware of my surroundings and what mm. I heard and what I saw. Mm. Being somebody that is like immersed in community and always trying to pull people into community, find a way, small businesses, nonprofits, like 
how did that make you feel going like man i'm i'm like literally like trying to build a community and i have co other community members now um that are looking at me different because of this narrative and because i'm asian and putting me together with this um did that affect you emotionally mentally uh spiritually um and how did you and still to this day, I would say, because it's not like we out of a pandemic, right? It's right. still post this pandemic. Like, how are you balancing that and still being aware, but still being effective in your work yeah. at the same time? I think no matter where I'm, where I'm at or what room I'm in, mm -hmm. there will always be this kind of level of awareness and feeling of isolation because I am often the only one. Yeah. But that's okay. Yeah. Like I said earlier, I think stepping into it and doing what I can to make things better. Yeah. I don't ask too many people this question or even talk about this with oh, too gosh. many people. <laughs> but I have to with you. All right. A lot of times we, we hear the word white supremacy, right? But what we don't talk about a lot of times is how that exists in nonprofit and community centered work, right? And how it is perpetuated <laughs> in um in nonprofit community centered work. And even to add context to it, I, everybody goes is now doing this, you know, DEI training and implicit biases and things like that. And a lot of that stuff, what it is, is just rooted in white supremacy, rooted in whiteness, rooted in anti-blackness, rooted in anti-people of color, right? Yeah. Um, how have you seen or experienced discrimination, racism, white supremacy? Um, play a part in the work that you do that's community centered and how it affects the people that you work with your clients um, how do you pivot around it personally as well which we touched on a little bit but just calling it out um, yeah. what are your thoughts on that it's a loaded question yeah I told like this, that's all we do is loaded I'll questions. try to answer it the best of my ability but I think you've probably heard the term white savior complex. Mm -hmm. And I'm much more aware of that. I mm -hmm. see it at nonprofit breakfasts and it's it's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. It's frustrating. I I think there's a different way to go about it. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll t I'll take uh, an organization that we've worked with before as an example, Corner to Corner. Mm -hmm. They help support black entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And rather than tell the sad story of, you know, look at poor me, All right. you know, this person needs help, can you pull out your checkbook? They celebrate the entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And then NBIC, we work mm -hmm. with them. They do a great job of showing how they've had a direct impact in these leaders and how they've changed the trajectory of their life and right. create them, help to create success and, right. and economic prosperity and right. build wealth for 
these individuals and their families. Right. Yeah, shout out to Corner to Corner. <laughs> yeah. Organization. And so I think, I remember when this all started, like I said, it's, it's, it's been a lot for me. It's sh right. I've, I've seen it personally show up for right. me, hence the, the therapy right. for many reasons. Yeah. Um, and I remember just getting so frustrated with what I wasn't seeing in mm. Nashville and going to friends and mentors of mine that were of color and right. you know having more conversations around just this disgust mm -hmm. and frustration of, of the lack of representation in Nashville and thinking, you know, what's your experience been? You know, right. trying to create kind of that, that community too, right. that conversation of, you know, what's your experience been? How have you navigated? What it what what encouragement or guidance would you give me? Right. And I remember I was talking to one leader and I said how do we change this? Is there anything that we can do about this? Mm -hmm. Do I call these people out who say that they they deeply care about diversity, equity, and inclusion, but their actions don't align with their words? Yeah. And this leader said to me, Sonny, sometimes those people who are in positions of privilege and power are never forced to change because they've never been challenged. Mm. So in so many ways, he said, yes, right. speak up. So what does that look like? What does that look like, Sonny challenging those um, leaders that may not be of color? Um, what does that look like? I think there is, Obviously, I don't want to create any more conflict, but I right. think there is a, a respectful way to mm -hmm. help someone see maybe what they don't see. Right. And I think if someone has a genuine interest in seeing more diversity, equity, inclusion, that mm -hmm. they're willing to learn and willing right. to um, become better. And so sometimes it's taking them off to the side and saying, well, you said this or you did this, and I don't think you realize how that can be perceived. Right. Or um, another way that I like to, to do it is more so of celebrating and bringing light to those that do align mm. their actions with words. Mm. And so maybe that that's an encouragement to those that aren't to maybe look within and see that they're, they need to step it up a little bit more. Right. What's the future of nonprofit in general if if we don't start doing more of that, right? If we don't start one calling it out in a in a respectful respectable way, or see leadership change in their their way of thinking when it comes to representation and value and leadership within our nonprofit organizations. Um, and have representation of those that are actually being affected the most also having leadership in these organizations. If that doesn't happen, what, do, what, 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 what is the future of nonprofit? I think there will be a stagnant growth. Hmm. Um, I'm in this work because I want to change this world hmm. and I know I can't do it alone. Right. It's a collaborative effort and 
you know, these nonprofits are the ones that are on the front lines. They are the ones that are serving the underserved. And it's important to have those that have come from those communities to really speak to those individuals. And they need to be equipped with the right tools. Right. And I think when when these nonprofits have the resources that, that they need, in an affordable way, of course, yeah. will then see transformation in our communities, right. and will have more meaningful impact. Catalyst Collective. You know, you might have heard of that organization, <laughs> but people who don't know, that is Sunny's organization. Um, tell us a little bit about the, the impact of Catalyst Collective. And and then we get a little deeper into that. But. Sure. We are serving nonprofits. We are equipping nonprofit organizations with the tools and resources to help them increase their impact, mm-hmm. generate more revenue, and have better outcomes. And we do so by providing the capacity building services. Um, we have a collaborative community of pretty amazing people that mm-hmm. are very philanthropic and want to do fulfilling work and together we are going to change the world. What when you first started the organization, right? I never sought out to be an entrepreneur. Really? I don't even like to say that word to be honest. Really? Yeah. So so what was what was the catalyst, <laughs> right? What was the catalyst of the catalyst collective for you to to say, okay, I I, I have to just create something um, yeah. on my own and be an entrepreneur because I see a void that needs to be filled. It's a little bit of a longer story that got me to where I am That's now. That's fine. We got time. Yeah. We got so. Time. Um, when I, when I got to Nashville, I, like I said, I immersed myself in the community. Uh-huh. I had started a networking group for, for young professionals called Network Under 40, and I grew that to be over 2,500 members. Mm. We featured over 40 nonprofits, mm. and we went to a different location all over town. It was a really great opportunity for young professionals to connect in right. a new city and build relationships and, and to do something that that came so naturally for me that was able to provide so much value not just professionally but personally and it really ended up being a stepping stone that allowed me to grow a network in a city much quicker than I would have otherwise Mm. and I had also gotten connected with another nonprofit um, out of Atlanta that wanted to have a presence here in Nashville And I had never worked with a nonprofit like this before. And I had the opportunity to build it in Tennessee. Mm. I had assembled a board of 12 CIOs. I had secured 50,000 in funding from um, a a foundation. And I was working on strategic partnerships. I had brought Second Harvest on as a client for a $300,000 project. And we were doing some great work and 
I started to notice that I was being treated differently in some rooms, right. getting a bit of the cold shoulder and I didn't know why. Mm -hmm. I started to ask some questions and come to find out um, the CEO had come to town and essentially was saying some things that we were doing that we hadn't yet done. Right. And in, if you know anything about this community, that's something that you don't do. Right. It's a very relationship-driven community. It's small. And regardless, you shouldn't be telling people that we're doing things that we're not doing right. yet. Exactly. So it put me in a really bad position. And I remember thinking, you know, I'll get past this. I'll find a way to overcome. And we will get funding from this foundation and we will continue to grow because this is essentially what I was hired to do. I had right. KPIs to meet and I wanted to see it succeed. Right. But I remember getting to a point and knowing that I had done as much as I could and I had taken the information that I'd received from the community. I'd gone back to leadership and said, I think we need to reassess a few things. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to accomplish what I was hired to do. A week later, I was asked to resign. Wow. Wow. Hmm. I, rem I remember thinking to myself, because at the time, I was somebody who associated my worth with what I did. Yeah. And I wasn't even looking for that opportunity. It was something that fell into my lap. And all I could think was, you know, this was God's purpose. This was God's calling. I think all throughout my life, I've always been in search for that. Right. Search of, you know, God, whatever it is that you want me to do, just tell me. Right. I will do it. And when that happened, I was completely thrown. And, and not only that, I ended up in a, little, a bit of a legal I ended up having to hire a gender discrimination attorney, and mm. I remember thinking to myself, Lord, how did I get here? Yeah. And so I, 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 I thought to myself, I need to, I need to do some, some soul searching. I need to do yeah. some self-reflection. So I had reached out to an old high school friend, and I said, he lived in, in Tampa at the time, and I said, can I come stay with you for a few days? He's yeah. like, yeah, come on down. We spent six days together. We did long distance for three months. I convinced him to move to Nashville. We bought a house. <laughs> he encouraged me to start this business because wow. of the work that I was doing with the organization and just how my eyes were open to yeah. the needs of, of the nonprofit community and how there was a, a gap that needed to be met. Yeah. We got married. <laughs> And now we have a beautiful baby girl. Wow. And so I, I say that because I think at the time I was in just such a pit. Yeah. But I see now clearly that all of that led me to where I am now. Sonny, this is you just blowing me away right now. I, I, this is a, really... <laughs> I think it just goes to show you, you, you really have no idea what is in store for you, and God's plan is always greater than what you imagine. You just, those barriers, those struggles could be the birth of really something that's really meant for you to do, right? Like you said, we all go through something for a reason. God wouldn't give us anything we couldn't handle, right? And you didn't give up. 
you know, I think that's that's a that's another key indicator. It's like if you quit, well, you know, you you're not giving God, the universe, anything, an opportunity to bless you, right? Yeah. But if you keep going and, and and stay driven, even when you don't want to. Right. Right. <laughs> even when you want to hold your head up because everything is just so heavy, you know. Um, yeah, I think 2022 was a year of me showing up mm-hmm. and stepping into that power yeah. and making sure that I was shining bright yeah. because by hiding those gifts, hiding, mm-hmm. hiding those strengths and what God has given me, yeah. not only does a disservice to myself, it does a disservice to others and it's right. a disservice to the Lord. What does 2023 look like for you? What are what some of your goals? What are some of the things you want to manifest in plant and in, in, in this in impact? I think that's a good way to just close yeah. it out. Like, what is 2023? Yeah. I'm really excited. Uh, I'm, I'm really pleased with what 2022 was. Mm-hmm. And I think the possibilities are endless with 2023. Mm-hmm. I, I want to continue to show up and be a community leader mm-hmm. we want to provide as many services to as many nonprofits throughout the u.s yeah and just continue to grow and provide value and impact and change the world and change lives yeah sonny this has been amazing like i know when people hear this and watch this they're gonna be blown away it's a thing you know she was a little nervous at the beginning <laughs> I told you, like this is like, and to 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 piggyback off your last your last statement, like the more other people hear your story, and hear like, just the different journeys and the passion things you're still unpacking, right? Yeah. Like I just think that that inspires other people, that inspires people, that that look like you, that do the same things so or inspire to do the same things you want to do, right? And even like, like, I was asked to resign. And you know that's why I birthed this organization, this company that I have. Like those type of things, I think that just that that light is shining, but that gives other people some light. You know, that gives other people some energy. So I want to encourage you to keep like telling that story, right? Keep being vulnerable, um, and keep calling shit out. You know, because <laughs> like if we don't call it out, I, it gives it gives the uh, offenders. Um, my permission to keep perpetuating that, right, without consequence, right? And so that's why I'm real, a real big component on whatever sector it is, right? But it definitely if it's community-oriented, like if there's people that could be causing harm unintentionally or intentionally, like like we have to say something, albeit in a respectful way, but they, they, they have to be broached on it because they could be completely unaware right. or they could be aware and just going to keep doing it until they're checked on it. Right, and then once you have broached them about it, you can kind of really see what type of human being they are, depending on their response, right? Yeah. And then you can make whatever type of pivot or distance or whatever other actions you may need to make once you realize, like, oh, okay, this person is really rooted and really want to like change me better, or this person really doesn't care, and he or she is just checking off a box, and it's never yeah. going to change until. They are asked to resign, fired, or, or something like that. And so, that's the thing. I think those that are just checking a box, or if you discover that they mm-hmm. don't actually care, yeah. 
I just wish that those people wouldn't say anything then. Yeah. I just wish that they wouldn't <laughs> wouldn't be yeah. in the community saying that they care about yeah. X, Y, and Z if they don't. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a that's a t shirt. I think you just <laughs> like just don't say anything if you really don't care. Like just 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 do us all like a a, a, a solid and just but also on the flip side, I, I think I've discovered is that I can't get upset or frustrated with people if they don't care about the same things I care about. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a and that's a big thing to learn and grow into. Because if you're getting caught up on like, oh, they don't care about what I care about, doesn't mean y'all can't work together. Right. That means y'all might not work together on everything. But like it might be a alignment. You know, and I think everybody has their lane, right? Everybody has their their specialty or their thing that like that they're good at. And I'd rather somebody identify that and know that than try to hop in the sunny lane and then like be wrecking <laughs> and hit yeah. the walls and stuff, right? And so I think I think all of that is just growth and knowing oneself as well. Which is a journey, you know. Sometimes yeah. you got to know, like, oh, I thought I was supposed to be in the left lane. No, I'm supposed to really be in the right lane, you know. Oh, you know, that like, we all got to go through that at some point. Yeah. Um, and then finding out, like, who you are and staying true to that and not letting anybody or anything compromise no. yourself. And that's a good question I want to end it with. I thought I was ending, <laughs> but this is, a, this is a good one, Sunday. Well, I think, too, like, this is the beauty in what you and I get to do is that we get to determine who yeah. we work with. Yeah. That... We only want to work yeah. with people of high integrity, people that align with our values. Last question, I promise. Yes. We how, didn't talk about mental health or well, self-care. Well, well, <laughs> well, well, how, like, and I think this kind of goes into that okay. a little bit. How, like, how do you not compromise your, your health, mm. your, your self-care, you, your soul? Yeah. How do you keep that intact? with integrity and not compromise it and the reason I ask that because I believe everybody at some point or another one two three multiple times in a, in a lifespan like will be asked like directly indirectly a microaggression or whatever to compromise something or something about themselves or who they are for success or for a grant or for uh, some type of you know, opportunity. Um, how did you refrain from doing that, being compromising all those different levels to be able to go to bed at night and sleep comfortably, knowing like I'll remain me, I'll remain wholly me and still intact, regardless of the outcome? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I've learned to trust my gut. And I refuse to sell my soul to the devil. Mm. And I think it's priorities, it's boundaries, it's knowing what you're willing to do and not do. Right. And I mean, I think it's pretty obvious. It's between right and wrong. Yeah. You know, are you going to feel comfortable with the decisions that you're making? And, you know, everything business and community and drive and ambition and growth, I mean, all of that is great and wanting to change the world. But I think at the end of the day, for me, I still prioritize my family. Yeah. I prioritize my my faith. Yeah. And, you know, each morning I set my day up with a foundation of quiet and gratitude. You know, I am a creature of habit. I start my morning every morning the same way. 
-hmm. And these are things that I have to do to ensure that I show up as my favorite self so that I can fill my cup and then give to others. And that is getting up, having my coffee, doing my quiet time, my prayer and my devotion. I get daily exercise. I take care of myself. Mm -hmm. And I just don't want to look back one day and feel like I missed out. Yeah. I think as a parent, you you want to give your children the things that you didn't have yourself. Right. And, you know, I hate this term of, or the statement of, especially for working moms, is, oh, it's all a balancing act and act and, and you have to sacrifice something. And that's not the case. Mm-hmm. At least it's not for us. I have an amazing partner mm-hmm. and I don't know if I would be able to do this without him right. or the support of our families. You know, he's my encouragement, my support, my motivator. He's my teammate. Mm-hmm. And anything that I do in the community, any organization that I'm a part of, any nonprofit board that I sit on, I'm very intentional and deliver- deliberate of what I am involved in because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, it takes away from time with my family. And All I right. recognize that. I had a a friend and a mentor who, who once said to me, because I remember I was using the language like sacrifice. I was a, a six months in as a new mom, and she gave me the coaching and said, no, stop saying that. Right. She said, it's not that. She goes, you are prioritizing mm. your life and your family. Prioritizing, and, not sacrificing. Right. And I believe... I can have a successful career, a a successful business, and have a great relationship with my family and my daughter because I've seen it done. Yeah. I've seen other women that have Mm -hmm. that. And I've seen the flip side. Yeah. And you want it. Right. Right. And you want it. Yeah. Well, Sonny, if we don't stop now, we'll be going for another (laughs) (laughs) part two coming soon. But I, I just really appreciate you. And again, I want to give you your flowers for just all that you do, overcome, and then the light that you put into others. The the you, you take your cup and pour it into other people's cup. And I really appreciate you, man, who you are, your energy. And so I just want to say that. And uh, thank you for prioritizing this interview <laughs> and being here um, and having this conversation. And just really like just opening up and talking about these things. And so I really appreciate you, Sonny. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Part two coming soon. <laughs>